Well, good morning again, everyone, to worship today. I want to add my word of welcome to you. My name is Phil Rushton, and if you are new to BCC or just checking us out, I'm the lead pastor here. And glad that we have a chance now to turn to the Word as we continue our series this week on the questions that God asks us. We've been looking at each week a a different question that's posed to us in Scripture, and we've been in the Old Testament for most of our time. Uh, But today we now switch to the Gospels, and we're going to look at John chapter 1. And if you have your Bibles, you might open to it. We're going to look at verses 35 through 39. You'll also see it on the screen, but uh, let's listen in to Scripture today. And so we read, The next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I invite you to join me now in a a word of prayer. Lord, I pray that as we turn to your scriptures that you would point us back to you. Lord, I pray like John the Baptist that my words and, and our reflections would lead us back to you. Lord, I pray that we might discover the ways you are walking in our midst even now that we might discover what it is that we are truly looking for. So we invite your spirit to be at work in our midst today. We pray in in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to pose this question to you, a question that we encounter in our text. What is it that you are looking for? What is it that you want? I think it's notable that these are the very first words that we hear from the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. Another question. And I would suggest to you that there is a reason why Jesus begins here. This is a foundational question that has the power to set the trajectory of our lives. What is it that you are looking for? What do you want I don't know about you, but I think we often tend to begin with a different question. The question that I think I sometimes start my week with, and maybe you can resonate, is this question, what do I need to get done? As we live in a busy world with all kinds of expectations and responsibilities, it's easy for that to drive us. What do I have to get through? What do I have to get done? But the danger with that question is if we begin there, I think we might lose out on these bigger questions of what's more important, what's significant, what's going to matter when I come to the end of my life. If I begin with this question, what do I need to get done? I may find myself driven by the expectations of others, the busyness of life, the values of culture. So I want to invite you to to pause this morning and reflect on this deeper, more foundational question. What is it that I'm really seeking in this life? As I've been sitting with this question, I've noticed that it offers us the ability to reflect on a number of important things and discover some significant things about ourselves. The first thing that I think this question offers us is the ability to expose maybe some of the unhelpful desires that we have in our life. 
I'd encourage you to be really honest with this question. And, and upon first glance, our, our response to this question might be kind of superficial. I'll be honest with you, in, in my week this uh, week, I've been looking at houses and some of the answers to this question, what do you want, have been kind of superficial. I want nicer countertops and maybe some wood flooring, right? I think the cultural answer to this question is often a material answer. We are driven to want things, uh, more money, more status, more possessions. Let's maybe just begin there and put those out on the table and and name what, what are we living for? But as we do that, I think one of the things that we discover is some of the things that we live for have a, the potential to come up short for us. Leave us actually looking for something deeper. There's a man named Alexis de Tocqueville, and he was a Frenchman who came to America back in 1830. And he initially came just to study the legal system in the U.S., but he ended up writing all these letters back home to people in France, and it's become just a well-known historical record about what America was like in that era. In one of his letters, he has this powerful observation about American culture, which I think still holds true today. But he writes that there is a noticeable, strange melancholy that haunts the inhabitants of America, even in the midst of their abundance. There's this strange melancholy, this strange discontent that he noticed in this culture, even though we were materially rich in the midst of our abundance. And I'm wondering if that maybe speaks to your experience at all. That in the midst of some of the external things that are going well, or the external desires that we tend to live for, that there's maybe this persistent discontent that I'm actually looking for something deeper. The UN for the last few years has been putting out what's called the World Happiness Report, and they pull various countries and try and get a sense of where people are most experiencing a sense of well-being. And what's interesting in the 2019 report was that America actually ranked 19 on that list. There were a number of countries that indicated a higher level of well-being. Now, this happiness scale, this well-being scale, measures a lot of things. It does measure income, but it also measures things like social connection and physical health, volunteerism and generosity, a sense of freedom, Relationships. It's a, a more holistic answer to this question. And what's notable is that while America ranks highest on income, that was the only level where it was in the top countries. But there was, as de Tocqueville noticed even 200 years ago, this strange melancholy, this strange discontent in the midst of our abundance. I think the first gift of this question is it allows us to maybe discover that there are some unhealthy desires, some things that I am living for that are coming up short. Do you maybe notice that in your own experience today? The second thing I think that this question offers us, though, is that it allows us to then dig deeper and to discover some of those deeper God-given desires that God has placed on our heart. It begins by allowing us to just maybe expose that longing, but then it calls us to to reflect deeper. What do I really desire? And what's maybe even behind some of those superficial desires that 
God wants us to find fulfillment in, in him. I think John the Baptist's role in this text is really significant. In the midst of this scene, Jesus is walking by and he is pointing his disciples to them, saying, look, behold, there is the true Lamb of God. And I'm curious to discover with you if there are some signposts in our own experience or some voices that are shouting out in the midst of that discontent saying, look in this direction. Look towards God. That's where there is true fulfillment for what you are looking for. I think there are all kinds of signposts in our midst, maybe people, maybe experiences, maybe even just those deep longings that are calling us to look towards Christ, to look deeper. There's an American writer named David Foster Wallace, a writer and essayist, who was not a Christian writer, but observes in his own experience that there is something deeper that he was looking for, that he wasn't finding in all these other superficial desires that our world was promoting. I want to pull up this quote where he writes that everybody worships, and the only choice we get is what to worship, and the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. It's quite a quote. And he goes on to give all kinds of examples of how some of the things that he had worshipped in his life ended up actually being very destructive. These were unhealthy desires. And so he says, if I worship money, I will never feel like I have enough. If I worship beauty, I will always feel ugly. If I worship being smart and intelligent, I'll always feel like maybe I'm a fraud or I don't know enough. If I worship power, I will always feel a little bit afraid and insecure. And what David Foster Wallace notices in his experience is that all these superficial desires are actually these counterfeit gods that are, are not really fulfilling and that there's something calling us, pointing us to something deeper, some sort of God, he says. Now, he doesn't fully realize or discover the fulfillment of this in Christ, but it's interesting that just even from a, a secular standpoint, he's noticing that there must be something bigger. There's something I am longing for that can't be fulfilled in these other things. I wonder if this question is calling us to pursue that longing and discover how we can find what we are looking for in Christ. You know, I, I think one of the ways that we move past some of these superficial desires is not to simply try and get rid of them. We actually are wired to need things like provision and security and love and identity and purpose. And the problem is that we often are looking for those and things that can't fulfill them. And so we can't just cut them out. And, and if you're just honestly today saying, I, I'm finding myself attached or seeking some things that are letting me down, the way away from that is not just to cut them out, but to actually replace those longings and desires and find fulfillment with them in Christ. That we can discover, behold, that it is Christ in which I can find that sense of fulfillment and longing identity, security, and love. So this question, I think it can help expose those unhealthy desires, help us discover how we might find a fulfillment of these longings in Christ, these deeper God-given desires. The last thing I think this question allows us to discover is, 
It, it has the power to set now the trajectory of our life. Again, I think it's, in, it's significant that Jesus begins with this question. What do you seek? What do you desire? I think this sets a foundation for our life and for discipleship. I notice in the gospel that Jesus is very interested in the state of our heart. He really locates discipleship at the level, not just of our mind, but of what we love and what we desire. I notice how often this comes up in the scriptures. Jesus says that we can't love both God and money. That if we have a conflicted heart, we're not going to be fully following God. He cares about what our hearts desire and love. He is concerned elsewhere in the Gospels with those who, he says, professes me with, with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus is concerned with what we love, because I think he knows that what we love determines what we live for. And what we seek determines what direction we will go there's a, one last quote I wanted to pull up for you today, and this is from Pedro Rupe, and he really helps us understand why this question is so foundational. What we love, what we desire, what we seek decides how our lives will go. And, and so I want to read this for you, and, and he says that there is nothing more practical than finding God, than falling in love in a quite absolute final way. What you are in love with, what seizes your imagination, will affect everything. It will decide what will get you out of bed in the morning, what you do with your evenings, how you spend your weekends, what you read, whom you know, what breaks your heart, and what amazes you with joy and gratitude. Fall in love, stay in love, and it will decide everything. Fall in love, stay in love, and that will decide everything. Friends, I think this is why Jesus begins the gospel, begins this conversation with these disciples with this question. What do you really want? What are you looking for? Our answer to that question is going to decide everything. It'll decide how we spend our time, what we sacrifice for, what we live for. I think we, we can see this in our own experience. Some of the things we love translate into the things we sacrifice for and spend time with. I remember once spending four hours sitting at a Seahawks game in one of the worst rainstorms in the last 10 years because of my interest in sports, right? That love for sports makes us do crazy things. We spend too much money. We sit out in the rain. We, we spend our Sundays with that. Do we see how what, what's captured our hearts now translates into what we do and how we spend our time and what Jesus is calling us to is to discover something much more worthy of our time and our worship. To fall in love, stay in love with Jesus, and that will then decide everything. What I want to leave with, though, is this question, this challenge of what do we do if in our honest response to this question— we're not totally sure if we're all in, if our hearts aren't fully there with Jesus. What if we're struggling to answer this question? What I notice in our text, which gives me some hope, is that these first disciples actually kind of flub the answer. They don't really know what they're looking for. And they respond with a weird question. Um, where are you staying? It's like they, they don't fully know what they're looking for. 
And yet, Jesus invites them, even in their confusion and in their lack of clarity, to come and to see. To come and stay with him. Come and spend the day with him. This word for staying is actually this powerful word, abiding, which will become significant in the Gospel of John, where we are called to abide and live in the love of Christ. And we don't know exactly how that conversation went, but we discover that as they came and spent time and abided with Jesus, something changed. For as the texts continue in the rest of the Gospel of John, we see that they do decide to follow Jesus with all their hearts. So if you are on the fence today, if you have a conflicted heart, I would invite you in the midst of that to just be honest with Jesus, but to come and to see to come and abide and discover who this Christ is. A very practical prayer that I found helpful, particularly if I have a conflicted heart, is a prayer that we can always pray, where a mentor shared with me once, that we can say, Lord, give me the desire to desire you. To just be honest and say, maybe I'm actually desiring something else, but we can always pray, Lord, give me the desire to desire you. Could you change my heart? Could you call me to come and to see? It says in Psalm 37 that when we come, when we abide, when we delight in the Lord, he will give us the true desires of our hearts. So friends, I invite you to come and see to allow God to capture our heart and change our heart. Would you sit with this question with me this week? What is it that you are truly looking for? What is it that you want? I invite you now into a time of responsive prayer as we reflect on this question together with the Lord.